The private placement memorandum, also called the PPM, may be one of the most daunting hurdle for syndicators. Now, why is this? Well, it's because they tend to be really long, dense, confusing, they repeat themselves, but it actually doesn't need to be that way. So let's take all the mystery out of it, because if you're looking online, it's probably confusing because the information you see is either vague or most of the time you see how it says something about how you need one, but just talk to a syndication attorney. Well, fortunately, you're talking to a syndication attorney right now. But actually, obviously, we're not really talking. So what I'm saying is take what I'm saying here with a grain of salt because I'm being general rather than specific. I don't know your exact situation. But what we'll discuss here, I think will make it clear for you about how to do a PPM, why to do a PPM, and uh, the different ways to go about it and it'll get you started in the right direction. So let's first start with how you can get it done. Uh, basically, I see three ways that syndicators do this. So let's go and uh, get started with that. So the first way that I see syndicators try and get their PPMs done is, well, uh, many syndicators, not my clients, but many do, uh, they just don't do a PPM at all. Now you may be asking yourself, what? I thought you said we needed one. Well, actually, if the syndicator is doing a 506C offering, then the regulation actually doesn't require it. Now 506B does. In 506B, the regulation itself says that the offering must be compliant with all of another section, section 502, but in regulation 506C, only uh, it only needs to be consistent with 502 as it relates to subpart 502A, which talks about integration, and 502D, which limits the resale of securities. That said, my advice is you do a PPM, and we'll talk about why that is in just a little bit. The second way that syndicators get their, C their PPMs done is they try and find a template on the internet, or they borrow a friend's and they try and do a find replace or something like that. It ends up being this sort of weird patchwork of a PPM, and there's repetition and there's weird contradictory things. Trying to go on the cheap is like trying to find property insurance for a commercial building from a guy sitting on a bus bench. You're not spending money in the right kind of place. One role of that PPM is your insurance. We're gonna talk about that in just a minute, but it is critical to have it because the PPMs I've seen from syndicators who try and do it on the cheap, they're making a really, really terrible mistake. When the slightest hint of trouble comes, they would have been much better off not to have had a PPM at all than to have a bad one. Now, seriously? Yeah, if it's a 506C offering where it doesn't technically need a PPM, it would be better to not have one at all than to have some sort of really bad errors uh, that I have seen in some of these templates. Uh, it just, it does not behoove you to try and find a template on the internet uh, or just try and do a cobble one together. There are too many times where I've seen 
trouble happen as a result. The third way to get a PPM done is to hire a lawyer who regularly does this. Does it have to be a lawyer? Well, again, not using a lawyer is kind of like going in for surgery with someone who isn't licensed uh, to do medicine. Is that a good idea? Now, it's up to you because you'd be paying the price if things fall apart. Okay, so let's take a step back because I recognize this whole section may seem a little bit self-serving. Full disclosure, I am a lawyer who regularly writes PPMs for my clients. Now, my firm does a great job and our fees are oftentimes a little less because we do so many PPMs. We're just really efficient. But you absolutely do not need to hire us. Not They did not sign any agreements with my firm to that you must hire us. It doesn't exist. So there are quite a few excellent firms out there that do a very, very good job with PPMs. They care about protecting their clients, and they're certainly firms that you should consider. There actually is also a fourth way uh, to get a PPM done, and it's kind of related. And uh, I should mention it. As part of the Altitude Syndication Founders Club, we give our members the tools to build their own in detail and then work with me to make sure that it is perfect. Uh, that way they get that as part of their program, uh, they get it as part of their membership, so there's really no out of cost for that package. They end up with a terrific PPM or two of them or five of them. All right, so now we've talked about how to uh, get the PPMs done. Let's talk about why we do a PPM. So the first, there are really three reasons why we do PPMs, and one of them is absolutely critical, and the other two are really, really important on why you should spend the time to do a PPM, even if you're doing a 506C. Now, the first reason that we do a PPM is we explain the operating agreement in plain language. That gives investors a sense of confidence about what is in this crazy contract that is an operating agreement. We'll talk about operating agreements in the next module, but for a PPM, it does the plain language explanation of that operating agreement. It talks about the way voting works. It talks the way distributions work. It talks about all those kinds of things, um, and about how what happens in capital calls just in case um, they, that your investor doesn't want to read a very, very dense operating agreement. So that's the first reason is explain the operating agreement in plain language. The second reason we do one, and this one is the number one why it is so critical to do one, is a, a PPM is your shield. A PPM gives your disclosures, your disclaimers, and identification of every risk that you can possibly think of. This is why you need to do it. Because you don't want, at the end of the day, to have an investor come to you when something's going a little amiss or they just need their cash or something like that, them nitpicking about one particular thing that they're not very fond of or they're looking for reasons to get out of it, where they say to you, well, you never told me that. Because if it's in the PPM, you told them that. 
because as part of their subscription agreement that we'll also talk about in our next module, it says they got the PPM, they reviewed the PPM, they had an opportunity to discuss it with their lawyer. Uh, so everything was disclosed. Disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. It is your shield should anything happen. First thing that's going to happen if the SEC starts an investigation is they're going to look into what information was provided with to the investor. And if it becomes a he said, she said argument, the onus is going to be on you to prove that the uh, investor is not telling the truth. If it's in your PPM and they've sworn that they've read it, They've sworn that they've read it. I mean, it's there. So as far as the SEC is concerned, you told them. Uh, so definitely, definitely do a five, uh, do even your 506Cs with a PPM. The third reason to do a PPM, and this is hardly ever talked about, and I can't imagine why, and it's apparent that nobody talks about it, because when you see these PPMs, so many of them are not paying attention to this third point. The third point is a PPM is also a marketing tool. The PPM is your opportunity to show up and at the most critical time. The investors already said they're interested. They've already begun this conversation with you. The next step for them is to see the PPM. This is an opportunity for you to say, I am absolutely a professional. I show up like no one else. You can trust me with your hard-earned money and you're likely to make it back and a lot more. It is your marketing material. So the way that we show up with a, with a PPM is we have it looking good. We have it thorough, organized, good content, nicely printed, just looks like something really nice and quality. That's also another reason why we don't just use a template because that does not say quality anywhere on it. That says duct tape. So um, that's why. So third reason, marketing. First reason, again, is to explain the operating language and uh, agreement in plain language. Second and most critical is disclosures, disclaimers, and identification of risk. And third reason is that marketing reason. So let's talk about some of the common sections of a PPM just to kind of give you a flavor of what all goes in it. Now, first off, I said that one of the most important thing is that identification of risks. So we put all the risks of investment. Now, I actually put in my PPMs, I put this in two places. I put it right at the front, right after the cover page. I put uh, a big disclaimer about risks. Uh, it's not very specific, but it at least calls out risk, 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 risk. Review more risks inside. Because in the second part place I put it is inside my PPM, further down, um, pretty much somewhat near the end, but I like to identify the risks. Next, uh, I like to summarize the investment. I want to give kind of an executive summary of what that investment looks like so that a, an investor who doesn't have a lot of time can read it really quick, say, oh yeah, this was the deal where they're buying a, a four buildings and it's going to be a seven-year hold and this is the expected return. Oh yeah, I remember talking about that. 
so that it just reminds them of it and gives them sort of just the taste of it so that way they can decide whether they want to read more or not. Um, it, uh, I like to also talk about how the investment functions. So I like to go through, you know, who manages it, uh, who, how are votes done, all those kind of rules that are in the operating agreement. Remember the first reason that we do this to explain the operating agreement in plain language. Uh, it, I want to give as much like general detail, but in a clearly spelled out way about how it actually functions and what those different sections of the operating agreement are. Now, probably the most important section of a PPM is identification of the terms and what your investor is really looking for is distributions and how they happen. So there's a lot of terms that we put in the term section, but the most one that they always, always, always turn to first is distributions and how they happen. They want to know when distributions are happening. Is it monthly, quarterly, annually? What does that look like? Uh, they want to know if it's a waterfall, what's that waterfall structure look like? If it's a preferred return, what's the preferred return rate and how does that break down? Is it a hybrid between those two? How's it actually happen? Because uh, they want to know if I give this guy $200,000, when am I getting money and how much money am I, am I getting? They also want to know about how just generally the whole deal works. They want to know, okay, if I give you the $200,000, what happens next? What do I have to do? So it's clearly spelled out for them. Another section that is important in there, and this relates more to marketing than to anything else, is a section on the company, the management, and the bios. So I like to use this opportunity to really say, hey, I know how to syndicate. I'm experienced. I'm good at it. Now, even if it's your first deal, that's okay. You can still use this section to really promote yourself. You've got experience coming into this. If you've been a real estate professional for any period of time, you have that, uh, that experience. This is your opportunity to not brag, but just put down what those facts are about who you are and why somebody should trust you with that money. What's your special sauce? And put it in that bio so it's really clear. And it seems like, hey, you really are the kind of person that, uh, that can run the money well. Then I like to go into detail on risks. So I like to identify different categories of risks. First off, I like to talk about general investment risks. You know, that is a speculative and the, the investor knows that they, there's a possibility that they'll lose all their money. Now, it may seem like as you're doing this section or reading this section that your lawyer wrote or whatever, that it's way too negative. This is the place to be negative. Uh, not being negative makes you look like an amateur. Being negative and being really, really specific about every kind of risk you could possibly imagine makes you look like a pro. If you go into any hedge fund or any like very large, well-known company, uh, stockbroker, whatever, they've got pages and pages and pages of risks. They're, the investors are used to seeing uh, investment professionals talk about the risks of investment. If it's not there, they're going to be suspicious and they should be. I then like to go into very specific risks that are related to just real estate in general. 
real estate runs on cycles, that uh, there are different sort of, uh, there may be financing on it, and that imposes certain risks. I like to go through those kind of risks. Another kind of risk I like to, category that I like to go into is risks related to tenants. So specifically, if you have a, if you're doing an investment or a syndication where there's like, say it's a single tenant triple net, there is an inherent risk that the that you are taking on from the tenant's business in order to uh, do your deal, right? Because they're relying on their cash flow in order to pay you. So I like to put that there. Then there's a couple other sections that are always just sort of there. Uh, a, any kind of syndication. So to be compliant with uh, Regulation D, you are not really supposed to be doing uh, the, these kind of deals in order to sell. You're not doing some end run in order to basically become a public company that's not really a public company. Investors aren't really supposed to be able to just sell their shares. In fact, most of the way you will, if you end up pricing it for something, it'll be priced at a discount and they will lose money on that part uh, if they need to uh, get out sooner than the investment term. Uh, I also like to put my projections in here and I put a section in the body of the PPM itself on projections just to make sure they understand what I'm saying. And again, this is another good marketing opportunity for me. Lastly, there are a bunch of attachments that I like to make. Now, typically the words in the number of pages in a PPM that I put together is somewhere around 50 to 60, depending on the investment and how complicated. If I'm doing something super, super complicated, it may be 70. I've even done one that was 100 pages. Uh, but those are much, much more complicated than probably you'll be starting out with. So, but that's just the meat of it. In my attachment section, now we're talking some real page count here. Because first off, I like to attach the operating agreement. It's important that it's, it's part of the investment. My whole theory on attachments is I want to have something that is so complete and has everything in it that if there was ever a complaint and if there was ever an investigation, I could give the SEC and just say, here, this is what they said they've got. Here's where they signed it on their subscription agreement. And here's the whole thing right now uh, that has everything in it that I told them. So I like the operating agreement, the subscription agreement. I like to explain the verification process. If there's a purchase and sale agreement, I like to include that as well. Uh, I like to do uh, add my business plan and any marketing materials that I've done, I like to include that as well. Um, I include details of my projections and if there's leases already, I like to include those too. The reason again, because I want them all in one solid thing that I've got that uh, really shows uh, it's complete. And it also looks to your investors like you've got your stuff together. Hope that helped. In the next module, we're going to go and talk about the operating agreement and the subscription agreement, what they are and how they are constructed.